Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting alongside the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, another day closer to Packers Vikings noon Sunday kickoff at Lambeau Field and another day of healing for Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers. He spoke with reporters on Wednesday after practice, a practice he did not participate in. He was rehabbing instead, but he said he's feeling a little bit better every day, and all indications are that his focus is on doing whatever it takes to play in this game. Yeah, I think he made that pretty clear <laughs> after the game against the Bears that that is what exactly he's wanting to do. Yep. Uh, Mike Zimmer, as Mike Zimmer always does in the conference call with Green Bay Media, every year it seems like there's a noteworthy bit <laughs> that comes out of it this year was his reply in that, well, he walks on water, so we're expecting him to play. Right. Uh, Rodgers, coincidentally, does not, in fact, walk on water. Uh, but, you know, he is a guy that I think when you look at what he's played through over the years and how he's overcome those situations – He's going to do everything he can to be on the field on Sunday afternoon. He knows the importance of that game, not only the division implications, but really you're looking at two of, I think on paper, two of the better teams in the NFC in general. Yep. So uh, I'm sure there's no shortage of motivation for him to be out there. And we'll have to see how the week goes. Mike McCarthy said it's going to be a day-by-day -day process. It's going to be just him being in that rehab group, trying to get whatever he needs to be ready for it. But um the history is there. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, the way he's wired, uh, he doesn't want to be on the sideline. Yeah, no question about that. His, For him, the way he described it to reporters, his threshold in terms of whether or not he feels he can be an effective player has to do with his mobility. And now he drew a distinction, obviously, because he's not talking about being so mobile as to scramble out of the pocket and extend plays and all those things that we've seen him do in the past. But it's about having enough mobility to be able to shuffle his feet and move in the pocket to create the passing lanes that you need based on where the rush lanes right. are and, and how the pass rush is coming after you. He was able to do that Sunday night against the Bears. And when you look back at it, the, the touchdown pass to Geronimo Allison, the last touchdown to Randall Cobb. Both of those were plays where he shuffled to his left to create some space for himself in order to get off the pass that he needed to. He feels as long as he can do that, he's going to be able to play because he doesn't seem concerned about the knee, or at least the doctors have told him and everything. He's not concerned about it from the standpoint of re-injuring it any right. further. It's just a matter of managing that pain and being able to move around just enough. Yeah, and that Allison throw was probably the big one for me in terms of passing the eye test because, hey, you want to do quick passes, you want to get the ball moving, you want to get into a rhythm. He was able to do that. He made a heck of a pass to Cobb on the 75-yarder, but really it's those downfield threats that are going to be what opens up the Packers' offense. He did that, got single high, you know, really single separation, one-on-one -on -one coverage with Kyle Fuller and Allison. And I think you go back and look at that play, and I've, I've seen it about four or five times now, it looks like an effortless throw for him. It yeah. didn't look like he it was too... Uh, discomforted and trying to get that out there. It just seemed like traditional Aaron Rodgers football. That's the biggest thing for him because certainly there is going to be discomfort if he does play. There's going to be some of that pain that goes with the territory. He's done it before, but it's really been able to threat, you know, threaten the downfield. Uh, and you know, the, it, it's going to be one of those things that if Rodgers does go in this game, it's going to be on the offensive line. It's going to be on the receivers. Everybody has to step their game up to make sure that he's in a favorable spot for you know, 70, 80 plays, whatever it takes. Yeah, well, another injury update that nobody was necessarily aware of until Wednesday's practice, wide receiver Devontae Adams did not practice on Wednesday. 
Turns out he banged his shoulder a little bit on that 51-yard catch and run in the fourth quarter. Said when he got tackled, it was kind of an awkward collision. And like with Rodgers, he had the adrenaline to play through it. He actually caught another pass two plays later for a short gain. And then the next play after that, he got his touchdown there at the pylon. So he played out the rest of the game. But he woke up on Monday a little stiff and sore with the shoulder. He sounded rather optimistic about being able to play, but being cautious right now in practice as far as uh, making sure he gets to heal up as well. Yeah, I mean, adrenaline, man, it's just so, (laughs) there's nothing better than it. I mean, it's what gets you through those kind of instances. But Adams, you know, the way he's wired, much like Rodgers, he's going to want to be out there. And and I I tip my cap to him for, I mean, the 51-yard catch was great. Uh, That was a fine play and one of the biggest ones of that entire contest. But he had to work for that 12-yard touchdown. I mean, you got to remember that that was kind of a sort of almost a receiver screen in some ways and kind of had to make that play happen, had to make a guy miss, and had to dive into the end zone. So uh, knowing what we know now about that, it's kind of a <laughs> gut check for him to be able to pull that through. Yeah. Uh, again, though, this isn't Devontae Adams in year one or year two. He's a veteran. He's been around this thing. If he doesn't get all the reps, it's not the end of the world. Uh, you, it opens up more opportunities for Allison, Marquez Valdez, Scantling, and those other young receivers on this roster. The biggest thing for Adams, though, is going to be being available and in, in potentially you know, getting to, even if he has to play through certain things, being able to have that full of assortment of reps that he's used to. Yeah, he had said when the play happened, he didn't even think much of it in terms of his shoulder. Like It really didn't feel like anything had happened or that the tackle was anything out of the ordinary. It really wasn't until the next day or maybe late that night before he went to bed or whatever the case was that he started to feel like, oh, my shoulder's a little sore. You know, So yeah. one of those things that uh, obviously get him the rest and recovery he needs, nip it in the bud now, let him get through another game. Hopefully nothing gets worse, and then uh, you know Devontae's good to go for yeah, a while. He's kind of cut from that same Randall Cobb cloth, too. Oh, yeah. It's like, I mean, those guys, are you're pretty much going to have to take a limb off for them not to play through something. So And they don't exactly enjoy talking about their injuries. <laughs> no. They realize it's part of the deal that, you know, whether you're practicing, not practicing, or something's going on, you're on the injury report, reporters are going to come up to you and say, hey, what's going on? So, I mean, they get it, but they would just assume you know nobody even know because they, they they don't want it to come off as like an excuse for their play and everything right. we've heard that from these guys all the time the only analogy i've been able to throw at people because people often ask this in the fantasy football era is what's affected all this probably oh absolutely more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. but it is funny because i said just imagine going to work and having a cold or some kind of illness and being sick about it and having every single one of your coworkers come up and ask you about it or just <laughs> every single person you come across to ask you about it yeah yeah over time you're not going to want to talk about it that much so uh be <laughs> that as it may uh like i said before i mean adams the way he's wired the way he approaches this game assuming he's cleared to go i mean he's he's met from a mental perspective he's going to be where he needs to be going into sunday yeah definitely well with that uh west quickly a little sponsor business it is time to enter the cousin subs best seats in the house promotion you and a guest could win a chance to kick back on the 50 yard line in style two pairs of lucky packers fans will be chosen prior to each home game for this vip experience enter daily now through december 16 by completing the entry form and submitting for complete rules and eligibility go to packers.com slash best seats cousin subs we believe in better okay sticking with the topic of the packers offense right now We heard actually both a little bit from Mike McCarthy and then also from Aaron Rodgers in terms of how 
Rodgers injury aside, how that game unfolded for the Packers offensively against the Bears with regards to tight end Jimmy Graham. You look at the statistics, Jimmy Graham, two catches for eight yards. Not exactly what people were expecting, but Randall Cobb, nine for a buck 42. Devontae Adams, five for 88, I think it was. Yep. Geronimo Allison, five for 59. 69. All three, 69. All three of those guys have a touchdown reception. So it's like, well, what happened with Jimmy Graham? Well, the Bears made him the focal point of their defense in, ter- in terms of their coverage. Aaron Rodgers talked about how their whole game plan was out in the middle of the field, they had an outside linebacker who was disrupting Graham at the line of scrimmage, not letting him get a clean release into his route. And then when the Packers were close to the end zone, down in the red zone area, they were simply double teaming him. They had either a cloud coverage to his side, or they simply bracketed him with with one coverage guy up front and then another guy in the back. So um, not the type of start to his uh, Packers career that Jimmy Graham was looking for, but the guy was affecting the game because he was affecting how Chicago was playing its defense. And Marv, up in the control room, if we could, I'm guessing we can't, bring up my clip from, I think, May, talking about how <laughs> the addition of Jimmy Graham is going to be the best friend for Randall Cobb. Exactly. I'm not sitting here trying to act like I'm some kind of you know, psychic with this stuff. Nostradamus. Nostradamus, exactly. <laughs> but it was obvious that this is going to be one of the beneficiaries of this approach. Yeah. It's not a coincidence. I mean, now Randall Cobb did a lot of great things on his own, but it's not a coincidence that Jimmy Graham gets entered this offense and Randall Cobb has a career day. This, The way that defense are going to have to approach this, Mike, we've talked about it since the day that Graham was signed. They have to make a decision. Yeah. Devontae Adams mentioned this in the postgame, too, when he was talking in his locker. There were times where he got double-teamed. There were times where Cobb got double-teamed. And we saw a lot of double-teaming, or as you said, some of the cloud coverage that they did to Graham. That's what opened up the opportunity on that one series to Geronimo Allison to win his one-on-ones. Yep. That is ultimately what's going to be able to, assuming they can keep all these pieces healthy, make this offense what they think it can be. This week, a lot of emphasis on Jimmy Graham. Next week, that might change. Maybe that's when Jimmy Graham breaks out. But whatever the case may be, there are so many different components in the middle of the field. Mike McCarthy's wanted to attack that area. They did it in that game against the Bears. They did it through Randall Cobb in a tip of the hat to, to Jimmy Graham for being able to d- divert some of that coverage. Yeah, and I'm really interested to see come Sunday afternoon what the Vikings decide to do Absolutely. in this regard. Because you look at Minnesota's first game against the San Francisco 49ers. A little-known tight end, a guy, I'll admit I never heard of him, is it George Kittle yeah. is, his, yep. is his name? Five catches for 90 yards. He was, he was Jimmy Garoppolo's go-to guy, was the tight end. Now, I don't know enough about the X's and O's, and I don't watch all of Minnesota's game film, but they were probably, presumably, more focused on Garoppolo's outside targets, the guys on the edges, the wide receivers. And so that tight end, Kittle, had some matchups that he was able to take advantage of, and Garoppolo took advantage of. 90 yards from a tight end, that's a pretty big game. Yeah. Now, what will Minnesota do with regards to Jimmy Graham and you know with the Packers having, assuming Adams is able to play, and Adams, Cobb, and Allison, how all this unfolds? As you said, defense is going to have to make a choice. It's an 11-on-11 game. It's a numbers game. Anybody, any defense can take away anybody else on offense if they right. want to. It's how this league works. So what is Minnesota going to decide? That's what we have to wait and see. And you mentioned the red zone, some of the double coverage that Graham got there. The, the exciting thing, I think, if you're Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers in this offense is that 
Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb are really proficient in that area of the field as well. I don't know if that's just the product of the scramble drill or just the routes that they're running or the crispness of it, but they have been effective without that kind of threat. Now that you put Graham in that equation, there were a lot of things that didn't go right for the Packers in 2017. Nobody's denying that. Right. They were pretty good as far as red zone offense, though. And now that you have Graham added into that mix, I think it's only going to take him one step farther. And, and to be honest with you, Mike, too, and I'm glad you brought that up, Kittle, him and Garoppolo last year, they started to develop a little bit of rapport. You could tell that that's a guy that Garoppolo has a lot of confidence in. Aaron Rodgers has really developed a good chemistry with Jimmy Graham, and we'll see exactly how this situation unfolds on Sunday. But I think, honestly, it's only a matter of time before you really start to see that production maybe swerve its way a little bit towards Graham just based on the fact that there were so many opportunities for them throughout the training camp, throughout the preseason, that they really did capitalize on. Yeah, there are a lot of different ways this could play out schematically. Now, what I know about the Minnesota Vikings, they will certainly have no problem leaving Xavier Rhodes one-on-one. Their top cornerback will play one-on-one. They won't worry about safety help for him. But then if you're talking about wanting safety help on you know, Cobb or Allison, but then also wanting it for Graham potentially, well... Does that take Sendejo and Harrison Smith out of the blitz packages and out of the pressure packages, which then leaves the Packers offensive line and the protection unit just dealing with the front four, maybe not so much the extra rushers? Those, the, this is all part of the chess match. It's, it's, it, and, and the way things start in the first quarter is not necessarily how the game's going to be played in the fourth quarter. Right. There's three hours out there on Sunday afternoon, a lot of adjustments back and forth and everything, and with this this uh, addition of Jimmy Graham being new to the Packers offense with uh, the Vikings and, you know, wanting to do what they do on defense and do so well because they've had this unit together for so long. It just makes for a really intriguing matchup all the way around. And we'll get into some of like the, what it's going to take to win this game stuff on Friday. But for me, I think the biggest decision, one of the biggest decisions that Mike Zimmer has to make is how they're going to use Mike Hughes. And it's by all accounts, it sounds like Trey Waynes is going to be okay. I think he was a full participant on Wednesday. Yeah. But Hughes appears to be that that slot cornerback. So is he going up against Graham? Is he going up against Randall Cobb? That's going to be a big piece that they're going to have to figure out. Yeah. Well, switching gears to the defensive side of the ball here quickly, Wes. Um, the uh, we saw at least in our first introduction to Mike Pettin's defense, and it may have been partly driven by the fact that Oren Burks at inside linebacker was injured and the other inside linebackers, aside from Martinez, haven't been with the team very long. But we saw Mike Pettin put a lot of DBs on the field against the Bears, a lot of six DBs and even in some cases seven DB packages, depending on how you want to classify Jermaine Whitehead and, and how he was used. But uh, the depth of the Packers secondary was needed in game one, and Mike Pettin used every just about every inch of it. Yeah, he did, and I thought it was really interesting listening to Kirk Cousins talk a little bit about it because he was asked about those 7 DB packages and how that stresses a quarterback. And, it, and he made such a great point is that Pettin really was indiscriminate when he used it. I mean, he would use it in a variety of different ways and different situations and down and distances. Uh, I think the most common version of that is going to be in the you know the dime and some of the sub package stuff. But we saw packages, Mike, that I think Blake Martinez referred to as like a base sub, where they had three down linemen, two inside li- or one inside linebacker, two outside linebackers, and then just five defensive backs. They pivoted so many different ways with their packages. Uh, when when you look at how they were able to utilize Jermaine Whitehead as kind of that nitro nickel kind of linebacker yeah. next to Martinez. 
Josh Jackson, who, I mean, where's all the people now talking about how he couldn't play the slot, how he was a boundary cornerback, a zone boundary cornerback? Right. He's basically dispelled each one of those things every single time he's taken the field for Green Bay, and we all know what Jair Alexander can do. So I had a really big question. I said it last week on the show, Mike, how this was all going to look with all these cornerbacks, how Mike Penton was going to use them, because I, to me, I didn't want Josh Jackson. If I'm if I'm Penton, I didn't want him sitting on the bench no. for most of that game. I wanted him involved. And kudos to him. He found out a way to get Tremont Williams and Kevin King playing the entire game, but then also get upwards of 45 snaps for both Alexander and Jackson. We talked about it being a strength, that the strength as it stands today, and he put it to use against the Bears. Yeah, well, we talked about how uh, some of the different ways the chess match could unfold with the Packers on offense. The Packers on defense, the way this, uh, this chess match could go, if I'm the Vikings and Kirk Cousins and I'm seeing the six and seven DBs out there in a lot of different situations, the way you get the Packers out of that is you run the ball with Dalvin Cook because because six, seven DBs on the field, you're light in the pants, so to speak, in terms of being able to stop the run. Now, if you can if you're the Packers and you can stop the run and contain Dalvin Cook with those kinds of packages, that gives you an advantage. But if you can't, then you need to get a little bit more beef up front, so to speak, in that front seven in order to contain the run. And then the advantage shifts to Kirk Cousins with Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, Kyle Rudolph, and all the weapons in the passing game. So there, there's a, a lot of different ways, just as we talked about on the other side of the ball, a lot of different ways that this could play out. And over the course of four quarters and, and three hours, there's going to be a lot of shifting and changing going on. I think the exciting thing, if you're a Packers fan right now with this defense, is I think there's a really good chance that we don't even see those kind of packages again in this game. I think you could see Petten potentially, and this is just speculation on my part, but sure. I think you could see him take more of that New England approach where you're tailoring game plans to specific opponents Absolutely. week to week and really marching things up a little bit. It is going to be interesting to see, though, uh, exactly what that plan is going to be for Cook. And, and certainly the defensive front, they know he's going to be a big challenge for them and seeing how they respond to it. Lastly, Blake Martinez, I think that had to be one of the finest games he's played in a Packers uniform because for 59 of those 70 snaps he was on the field, he was the lone inside backer. He was working with guys he wasn't used to working with, yep. and he was the primary communicator. That was a big assignment. That's a big moment that he's going to grow from as the season wears on. Yeah, it was like he was a ship's captain with a whole new crew. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and he was the guy tying that defensive front to Kentrell Bryce, HaHa Clinton Dix in the secondary. That was such a big role for him. It wasn't really talked about much, yep. but that was a huge assignment, and he stood up to it. Yeah, all right. Well, with that, we're going to call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford, at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.